So if you were to have your Bibles uh, this morning, you'll see that we're starting to end, coming to the conclusion of Jesus' farewell discourse to his apostles, 11 disciples that are closest to him. He spent a lot of time with them explaining to to them what's going to happen when he dies. And after this little passage that we're going to read and study this morning, Jesus is going to go on in John chapter 17. He's going to pray for the disciples. He's going to pray for us. And then he's going to complete his mission, his death and resurrection from the cross. So as we read this last section of this conversation that Jesus has with those closest to him, I want to emphasize this as we look at this passage. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we no longer have to be confused or uncertain about what God is like, about how he works. It's no longer just a theory after his death and resurrection. It's no longer just an idea about how God saves his people, how God relates to people. In fact, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's a sense of security that we should have, that we can tap into even this morning as we look in this passage, a sense of security in God's love that forms the foundation for for who we are as individuals. That, That sense of security in God's love not only helps us with who we are. It helps us live in front of a world that I think sometimes, because of that sense of security, because of God's love, the world won't know what to do with us in a good way. So we're looking at this passage, and Jesus is finalizing his comments to them before he leaves them so that they will understand just how much God the Father loves them And as they understand how much God the Father loves them, they will have this sense of security about who they are, that they'll be able to do amazing things that they never thought possible. So if you would open up your your bulletins there or your Bibles, we have it printed for you. Let's read God's Word from John 16. I'll begin with verse 25. We'll read to the end of the, the chapter break there. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And then Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. 
Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. For in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we look at your word from John 16 and hear what Jesus says to his disciples, would we hear as well, hear clearly in this place, in this hour, would we hear from you exactly what Jesus says to us that we'd better understand your love. For it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. So I am convinced that we as human beings do all sorts of things to make sure other people think we know what we're doing. Much of our life is trying to figure out what we need to do And at the same time, making sure that other people at least believe we know what we're doing. Now, I remember as a a 23-year-old man, when I first became a platoon leader in the United States Army, as as I stood in front for the first time of my new unit as a platoon leader, being introduced to 20 other men, most of them older than me, some of them younger than me, but all of them knew much more than me about what it meant to be in the military. And I remember standing there being introduced for the first time, and I literally thought they were able to see my knees shaking. That's how scared I was. Now, It's a good thing. I I did get over that. I I went about my task as trying to figure out what a good platoon leader is supposed to do. And to the best of my ability, I got through that. I mean, because it's a good thing, right? I mean, who wants a platoon leader that's shaking in his boots? My premise today is that even as that 23-year-old man was standing in in front of a bunch of people for the first time and that he was scared... My premise is that for all of us, at least some of the time, that's the way we all are. We may not call it being afraid, but we we say things like, we're concerned. I'm a little worried. I'm, I'm wondering what this is going to be like. But at, at the bottom of it, we're afraid. And it's true, and it's good, that because we're afraid, we're going to go do a lot of things that help us not be so afraid, to to make sure we know what we're doing, and that is good. But I, I want to show you something this morning from this passage, that even though that's good, there's something much better, something much better than simply getting through it. And as we get a hold of what this is, this better, we will have a courage that we never thought we could possibly have. And not only that, we will be so courageous that the world won't understand it. The rest of the world won't know what to do with it. Because it's not simply figuring out what it is we need and making sure other people know that we know what we're doing. It is actually something totally different. 
And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at there is a clarity in God's love for his people. It's real clear. But even in spite of that clarity, there is confusion on our part from God's love. And then lastly, we will be completed by God's love. So let's look at it from our passage. Clarity. Clarity in the Father's love for his people. It's, it's found in those verses 25 through 28. We're going to look at 25 here. Jesus says to his disciples, I have said all these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, What I've been telling you is hard to understand now, but you will soon understand when the hour comes. And the hour, not just here, but all throughout John, the hour is a reference to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, it's it's not until Jesus is raised from the dead that they can fully understand why he dies on the cross. And, And realize it's not that anything was lacking in how Jesus revealed God to them before. It's not that he didn't do everything that he was supposed to do. It's that human beings in and of themselves do not have a category for what God is planning to do on the cross. And it's really important. It's beyond, it's, it's not that Jesus hasn't clearly explained to them what's going on. They don't have a category for God's love to be worked out in this way. It's beyond their imagination. It's beyond our imagination. In a sense, it's not normal. The disciples can't fully comprehend how much God cares for them until Jesus Christ not only dies on the cross, but is raised from the dead because that's when the Holy Spirit comes supernaturally to help them understand. Do you see the disciples in and of themselves without some help from the outside? They can't put this together no matter how clear God is. They need help from the outside. Here's one of the things that will happen that's totally beyond belief. It's found in 26 and 27. This is one of the things that will happen after Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. Look at it. In that day, he says to his disciples, you will ask in my name. But I don't say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Jesus here, he's not minimizing his work. He's not minimizing the fact that we have to have Jesus. Rather, he's saying, once my work is complete to the disciples, he's saying, you can be certain that God the Father loves you. The Father needs no prompting from even his only begotten Son. Not that Jesus is no longer necessary. It's that Jesus will be finished with his work. Jesus' mission will be complete. In other words, with the completion of that mission, now God's people will have unhindered access to God himself. Now think about that. It's kind of hard to understand, isn't it? Hard to make sense of. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and by implication to you and me this morning who know him, saying, you won't need anything else once I'm done to go into God's presence. Once Jesus is done, you can sit with the creator of the world and be loved perfectly. Once Jesus is done. So imagine this. Imagine 
I'll speak in the third person. Imagine Todd Lowry, even on a good day, okay, on a good day, he's opened up his Bible, he's, he's read the Word, he's prayed a little bit, and he goes off to work, and as soon as he gets in the car, he kind of forgets about God. He, he forgets that, oh, without God, he wouldn't even be able to breathe. And then all of a sudden it comes to mind that, that you know, he's, he's kind of doing his own thing, thinking that he's got this, thinking that, um, thinking that I know what's best for me. Even then, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, even then he says, you can still go and be with God and he loves you being there. Not you love being there necessarily. He loves you with him. And that's on a good day. Think about the bad days. On the bad days, it's even okay because of Jesus Christ. On a bad day, Todd Lowry can get down on his knees, talk with God the Father, and if he could see God's face, if he could look into God's eyes, it would be full of love, compassion, and total acceptance. No matter what? That's unbelievable. When Christ brings us to the Father through the cross, it is done. Jesus doesn't have to beg the Father to love us. Jesus doesn't have to beg the Father to hear us. With Christ, there is nothing stopping us from being near and with all of God, no matter what. Jesus ends this part of the passage in verse 28 with this. I have come from the Father. I've come into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. It's a summary of his mission. It's a summary of what Jesus is about to do. And today it's a summary of everything that Jesus did. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is why we can say that nothing will separate us from the love of God, our Heavenly Father. And that is clarifying, is it not? That regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of what you've done today, what you will do tomorrow, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, then no matter what, you can sit in the presence of the, of the King of the universe and He loves having you there. When the hour comes, it's done. And that's pretty clear in this passage. It's clarifying, is it not? Leading into the second point, which I, I know, I talked to enough of you saying that's nice. And yeah, it is clarifying. It's clear, but, right? That's clear, but it's still hard to believe. Here's the beauty of this. Of course it's hard to believe. If that's easy to believe, then you don't have a clue as to what we're talking about. Because it is so unlike you and me. Let's be blunt. You do something mean to me, I'm going to have a really hard time loving you. Right? I know that I should love you and I'm going to try to love you, but it sure isn't easy. This isn't what we're used to. This, that, that we can do something mean, we can do something wrong, we can do something that actually sent Jesus to the cross and God says, once my mission's complete, it doesn't matter. It should be hard to understand. It's so unlike you and me. 
but it's not unlike God. Which leads to the second point. We have this clarity, but there's still a lot of confusion. Look at verse... uh, This is what happens. There's clarity. Jesus is really really clear. And the the disciples, what do they say? Look at verse 29. What do they say? Ah, now we get it. You know what Jesus says? No, you don't. Verse 29. Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Have you ever... What are they talking about? Everything they say is right, but it has nothing to do with what Jesus just said. Jesus just said, you won't get this till later. Why are you telling me, ah, you get this? They're saying, no, Jesus, we get it. It's like this. To go from confusion to confidence in a matter of seconds, I have experience with this, It's like watching a four-minute YouTube video on how to change out a radiator in a 1996 Ford Ranger. And after you watch that video, you go out into the garage, you get a few tools, and you actually think you're a mechanic. It doesn't work. They think they get it, and they don't. So Jesus says, fellows, let me show you how much you get it. He says, the hour has come, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, he says, for the Father is with me. This is how much the disciples get it. When the hour comes, you know what they do? They run and they hide. Jesus knows the disciples better than they know themselves. At the, at the most pivotal hour, at Jesus' greatest hour of need, when he hangs there on the cross, all his friends leave. And Jesus is correcting them here. He's saying, no, you don't get it. But he's correcting them, not so that they know their failures. He's correcting them so that they can see in their failure... Their failure doesn't matter. What matters is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It is his faithfulness that matters, not their faithfulness. And it's all about Christ's faithfulness that brings us into God's love. It's not about our faithfulness. It's about the faithfulness of the other who comes to save us from our lack of faithfulness. It so goes against the grain of how we want to understand Our faith. And I know there's a way to talk about our faith, but you realize in one sense, we don't have any faith. We don't want people to think that we're as helpless as we are. We want everybody else, including God, to think we're on his side, to think that we get it. There's something that we have worth loving, and the fact of the matter is because of sin, we don't have anything worth loving. And what Jesus is trying to show his disciples and us, it's not about our worthiness. That's not what gets us God's love. It's about Christ and his worthiness and his love for the Father. 
And when we see Jesus Christ loving his father and being faithful to his father and going to the cross for his people, all that he does in spite of us, that's when we'll know without a shadow of a doubt that God is for us and he can't stop loving us. Have, Have you ever thought about that? Because the Father can't stop loving the Son, if we are in the Son, He cannot stop loving me and you. If you have Jesus. Look, Peter always seems to get the bad rap because he denied Jesus. And I'm I'm okay with that because he is a pretty big deal. But you realize here, Jesus is saying, each and every one of those closest to him, they left him. And it's only after their failure, it's only after their lack of love, it's after Jesus dies for that lack of love and he's raised from the dead, that's when they know that God the Father won't stop loving them. I mean, think about, I mean you got to think about this, folks. Right. So what are the disciples thinking about after Jesus dies on the cross. Because when Jesus is hanging on the cross, they all leave. They go back home. They're sitting around the dinner table. And I'm sure they're sad because their friend just died. But you know why else they're sad? They're sad because they left him. They loved him and they still left him. And what's the next thing that happens? The next thing that happens, who comes back to them? It's Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? Not with his words, but with his actions. Jesus, when he comes back after he's been raised from the dead, after the disciples left him, he comes back and he basically says, even though you left me, I will never leave you. He says, I told you that in that hour, you'll know clearly that the Father loves you. And you know what he says? He, comes, he says, I'm back. That's how you know the Father loves you. It's proof. It's real clear how much God loves his people. It's not real clear because it doesn't really make sense on a human level. But it's all right there. And it's only in their confusion, in their unfaithfulness, do they come to grips with the fact that even as they're unfaithful, Jesus comes back. Told you God loves you. Why would I ever leave? Which leads to the last point, completed By God's love. Christ is so much bigger than our slowness. So much bigger than our sin. Because Jesus is always looking beyond our sin and our weakness. And he says in verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And this just isn't the objective peace that comes because God sends his son and he dies on a cross so that he can reconcile God and man. This is a subjective peace that we are supposed to experience because we need that peace deep down in our hearts. And we have that peace because Jesus has died. And we need that peace because in the world we will have tribulation. We will have difficulties. And Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. You could add, take heart. I have overcome even you. 
Jesus looks beyond the failure of the disciples to their restoration. He looks beyond our failures to our restoration. And he says, you can have peace because I have overcome it all. You don't have to be afraid. You, don't, you can be at peace even though in this world it's going to be tough. And it's when we doubt. It's when we're weak. And that's when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we look to Jesus Christ. And when we look to Jesus Christ, he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. You know that phrase, take heart? You know what it means? Be courageous. Be cheerful. Don't be afraid. I do, I do want to say something. After the disciples realized that they had failed and they knew that Jesus wasn't going to leave them, that's when they started following Jesus. So when we think that, when we think that, oh, God's love and his grace leads us to do whatever we want to do, If you realize that you're loved like this by a God, you never want to do anything to disappoint him. And when you do disappoint him, you are now free to go in to say, I'm sorry. And all you see is these loving eyes that say, I am here for you. And that moves you to keep on trying. Nothing more powerful than the love of God for his people. We see it in a good marriage. You got a wife that you know will never leave you or forsake you, and you understand the importance of that, you're going to do whatever you can as a man to love her well. Goes goes the other way with the husband and wife as well. You remember uh, in Lewis's voyage, Voyage of the Don Treader, the end of the story? I know many of you have read it, so I'm, I'm not going to go back. It's a, it's a great series. Everybody ought to read it. At the end of the story, little Lucy's on the boat, and she's standing at the bottom of the mast, and above the mast, there's a bird or an albatross flying around, and the waves are kind of chopping up and down, and she hears this voice. And that voice says, courage, dear heart. Courage, dear heart. And then we read, and the voice Lucy felt sure was Aslan's, the Christ figure. It's in our doubts. It's in the midst of our struggles. It's when we're on the boat and the waves are crashing in on us. That's when we can take our eyes off of ourselves and we look to Jesus Christ, our Savior, and he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. We can be certain, we can be confident, we can be secure, all because of Christ who comes back after he dies for our sins. It's part of the, this is how I will conclude here. It's part of the genius of the gospel, what we believe to be true this morning as Christians, that the church of Jesus Christ was built on a group of discredited men, men whose knees were shaking. And in the midst of their failure, you know what they did? They saw Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, overcome their weakness. And when God in Christ overcomes their weakness, you know what they did? They laid the foundation of our presence here today, this morning. Do you realize that these discredited weak men 
because of their love for Jesus and because of Jesus' love for them, that's why Hal goes to Africa and there's a church over there. That's why we come here this morning and it's built on a group of weak men, but a powerful Jesus. Here's the pattern of God's love, brothers and sisters, that in spite of us, God sends his son to make us more and more aware and certain and confident that God will never leave us. And when we're mastered by the love of God, as Jesus overcomes the world, we do too. Here's the message, folks. It's it's what I want my children to hear. It's what I want your children to hear. It's what I want my, my friends to hear. If you really understood how much God the Father was committed to loving you, you would never stop seeking to love him back. Even though it's poor, even though it's weak, it doesn't matter because Jesus Christ is ours. That's the power of the gospel. That's why we're here this morning. That's why, that's why the world's going to look at us as if we're funny because our security is not because we know what we're talking about. Our security is in Jesus Christ who came and has overcome the world. And in spite of us, we too will overcome the world and nothing can stop us. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We can't understand how or why you do this. And yet you promise us, and we know it's true because you sent your son, and he died for us. He's been raised from the dead. And that's why we know that you won't stop loving us. Would we live in light of that? Would you change us because of that? Would we see the the priority of what that means for our lives? We are here for you. We We are here because of you. And there's nothing better than being loved by you. I ask that you would work even as we come to the table as your people. Would you show us again and again your love in Christ's name. Amen.